Welcome to Tripod, our travel retail themed podcast series in collaboration with the SIVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Roger, great to be back with you. I know today you're very excited about the guest we've got on offer for our viewers. Tell us about that. I am actually, Martin. So not only have we got one of the industry's biggest leaders with us today, um, we've also got a really close friend of mine as well. So I'm actually really delighted uh, to share that we've got Ramesh Sadambi, the Chief Operating Officer of Dubai Duty Free, joining with us. Um, so he's got a fascinating story. So I think we should bring him in as quickly as possible. So let's bring him in. So this episode's special guest, a very special guest, may I say, is Ramesh Sadambi, a face known to many of our viewers and readers, of course, for his quite outstanding career at Dubai Duty Free, one of the most successful travel retailers on the planet. And certainly, I would argue, it's most high profile. Now, Ramesh was promoted to Chief Operating Officer at Dubai Duty Free back in 2016. And that was just reward for his stellar contribution to the retailer since he joined way back in October 1988. Wow, so by my calculations, He's right on the cusp of his 33rd anniversary right here and now, an amazing achievement. We're gonna to talk to Ramesh about those years, uh, some highlights along the way. And we're also gonna be learning a little, maybe a lot, about what makes him tick and what makes him happy. So Ramesh, wonderful to have us with you today. Welcome to Tripod. Thanks, Martin. And thank you very much for the very kind introduction. I I thought for a moment you're talking with somebody else, you know, but, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, really, you know, it's, great, it's great. It's great to be here with you and Roger this is one of the few zoom calls. I must say that I was looking forward to, you know, <laughs> most of the time you feel that the last thing you want to do is do a zoom call, but I was absolutely looking forward to this and to just have a chat with both of you and take it from there but thank you for doing the series i think it's a great idea you know we've got a lot of insight with different people that you've interviewed and i'm very happy to be here you know, with both of you excellent all right roger i'm gonna let you kick off you're there in dubai of course uh, with ramesh and uh, i i know you know each other well so over to you i'll pass the ball Ramesh, I think, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. Um, I've been looking forward to this one as we are friends and uh, I feel a bit more nervous with this one. I feel I've got to do a really good job for you. Um, take me back to sort of early life in India because you've, you've shared so much with me in the past mm -hmm. and it's a fascinating story. Take me back to sort of that early life in India and then sort of get into the US to study. How, you know, take us back to that period. Yeah, I, I grew up in the, I was born in Chennai, but I was in Chennai in the southern part of India for a sh very short time. And my father was a mining engineer. So I grew up next to the coal mines, you know, in Bihar and in West Bengal and did most of my schooling in Bihar in a town called Ramgarh. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was mining territory you know, today, if somebody comes to Dubai, you take them to see the Burj Khalifa. You know, if my cousins would visit us in Bihar, we would take them to see the open cast mines, you know, so, and show them the huge excavators and the conveyor belts and stuff like that. So I grew up uh, in that environment. 
And my dad had a traveling job. So he used to be out of the, out of home, like 20 days a month. And he was a mining engineer and he was a specialist in explosives, you know? So I grew up with detonators and safety fuses and, and things like that. <laughs> Commercial explosives, you know? So, and, uh, and then towards the time that I came to high school, my dad realized that leaving me in Bihar, you know, would have made me into a trade union leader. You know, I was very hot tempered and, uh, and, you know, I had a strong view on things. So he decided to send me to boarding school in Chennai and reduce the chances of me becoming a politician, you know, and, uh, and then when I, but, you know, throughout my schooling, I'd always wanted to be a doctor. And this was this notion that was in my head from the age of five. So I tried to get into medical school after I finished my high school in Chennai, and I just missed the grade for medical school. And I got, I got admission into dentistry, pharmacy, agriculture, veterinary science, you know, all the disciplines other than med school. And uh, then I just sort of annoyance and sort of to, and spite, I decided to do a degree in botany, you know, which was you know, at the completely at the other end of the spectrum from medicine and needless to say, not very intellectually taxing, you know, at that point in time. So I cruised through my undergraduate degree in botany and towards the last year, just before the last year, I realized what a mistake I had done and uh, the rational part of me kicked in. And then I decided I've got to change tracks so I applied to go to the US, you know, for my MBA program. I did the GMAT exam in the GRE. And I had a choice of doing a master's degree in biochemistry or in business administration. And I got admission into both. And then I chose business. And I was only 18 and a half years old when I started my MBA program. I had not worked. I started my undergraduate degree when I was 15 and a half. And my grad, you know, graduate degree at 18 and a half, and I'd never worked a single day in my life, you know, until that point in time, I was a full-time student. And I desperately needed money. I had absolutely no money. I had to borrow money for my airfare. I had to borrow money for my pocket money to land in the U.S. and so on. So I had to get a job as a research assistant in the university where I was going to. And the professor who interviewed me for the RA job he asked me, he said, uh, you want to be a research assistant in the business administration department, what do you know about business? So I said to him, I still remember, you know, the, what I said to him, I said, I said, I read Wall Street Journal occasionally, I said, I read the Forbes magazine, again, occasionally on Fortune magazine. And I said, that's what I know about business. <laughs> but he had a fantastic experience with an Indian research assistant, this was in Utah, you know, and Indians were not very common there, uh, with an Indian research assistant five years before, and he took a chance on me and hired me, you know, as a, as a research assistant, mainly doing work with organizational behavior, you know? And, uh, and so that gave me a 20 hours a week job, and it gave me two thirds waiver on my tuition fees. So I paid one third tuition fees, you know? And, uh, and then that helped me to complete the program I finished my MBA, I was the uh, president of the Indian Students Association there and the president of the MBA Association, believe it or not, in my second year. <laughs> you know? 
and uh, and and the first time I'd flown was when I took the flight to the US. I'd never even sat in an airplane before, you know. So I adapted, you know, quickly. And you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you have no fear, right? You know. So you know that that helped. And when I stood for elections for the for the president's job for the MBA students, the guy who was standing against me, you know, he was an absolutely typical American from Utah, six feet tall, blonde, you know, the whole works, you know. So my campaign was that I am anti-establishment, you know, this guy is pro-establishment, and I'm likely to do more for the students than he would, you know. But, you know, it was fun, you know, we got, I got through the program, but I'd always wanted to go back to India and work. I didn't want to stay in the U.S., so I worked for a year in the US just to help me to pay my bills. And by coincidence, the very first job that I got was in a department store in New York City in Times Square, right on Times Square. And Times Square in those days was very different from what you see now. Today is like Disneyland, you know? So in those days, it was very different, you know? And, uh, and I worked, you know, as a sales assistant from 10 in the morning to 10 p.m. at night. And that was my very first job, you know, in the States and happened to be in retail. And when I graduated with my MBA degree, it was the worst recession in the US until the 2008 recession, you know, in 1984-85. So it was very difficult for foreign students to get jobs. I managed to get a job. And then I got a job with a manufacturing company as an executive assistant to the president, you know? And, uh, and that guy hired me only because I had a master's degree by the age of 21, you know, and that impressed him <laughs> for whatever reason. So, so that then got me into the office and, you know, into understanding more about the operations. But the real break I got was when I went to India back, you know, which was always my plan. I got a job in the consulting firm called Datamatics, you know, and, and Computer consultancy really gave me an understanding and insight into, into operations. And Datamatics then had a consulting assignment to Dubai Duty Free. And that's how I came to Dubai in 1987. I didn't want to come to Dubai. I resigned from Datamatics when they offered me the duty free assignment because I got a job with another company as a materials manager and I was only 24 or 25 years old. So you know, the title of materials manager seemed fantastic. So I resigned from the duty free, I mean, from Datamatics, didn't want to come to Dubai, but they convinced me because they had already told John Sutcliffe, you know, whom I was going to report to here that I was coming. So it was embarrassing for them if I was not going to show up. So I, so I then reluctantly withdrew my resignation, came to Dubai for six months, met John on the 18th of August, 1987, at 10 o'clock in the morning. No, I'll never forget that. And, uh, and then after a few months, you know, in October of uh, 1987, I was at Premier Discotheque with John. We were celebrating our, my birthday on the 20th of October. And he said to me, he said, if you want to stay back in Dubai, he said, I'll speak to Colum and we'll make you an offer. You know? But I didn't really want to do it at that time. And then various events happened. I then accepted the offer and I joined the duty free as an employee on the 15th of October, 1988. But I actually started working for them in 1987.
and I and when I joined the duty free, they had two PCs running word processing, and that was the extent of the computerization. And it was you know the computerization project you know which Colum and John had a the foresight you know to think of automation, and b they had the foresight to hire an Indian company you know for consulting which was not very common in those days. Today, you know, everybody knows Infosys, you know, Wipro, Cognizant, all of these names, you know, but in 1987, it was not uh, that common. So they had the, they had the, you know, the, the foresight in terms of what they wanted to achieve. They had the, they took the decision, hire an Indian firm. I came on board and then we started the journey. When I came, we didn't even have SKUs for the majority of the products. We had 300 SKUs for liquor and tobacco items and two PCs running word processing. You know? So from that, we started, we ran payroll on the computer system for the first time in 1988, April, and then I looked back after that. You know? And anyone who knows you well, Ramesh, or anyone in the industry will know your amazing wife, Alpana. Where <laughs> does she fit in this situation? So, so she she played a very important role actually because she, we met in Bombay when I came back from the U.S. and I was part of a meditation group in the U.S. called Life Wave, and there were only three people in that meditation group in the U.S. It started in Chichester in England, and I was one of the three guys. Okay, but Alpana was a member of that same group in Bombay. They had about 70, 80 people in Bombay. So I left the U.S. went to England, I stayed in Gatley, you know, near Manchester for two months with the meditation group. And then continued my association with them when I came to Bombay and that's how I met her. And she was organizing a fundraising concert for the group, you know, with a very popular singer called Anup Jalota. And uh, she heard me speak, you know, at one of the uh, one of our meetings. And she said, Hey, you know, this guy will be a good candidate for the public relations committee, you know, for this fundraiser. And then she recruited me onto the committee. And then we met and, and you know, so we were dating each other when, when I came to Dubai. And that was one more reason I didn't want to leave. And my boss at that time, a gentleman called Dilip Desai, he actually called Alpana to the office when I resigned. And he said, you know, put some sense into this guy and tell him to just to go to Dubai for six months. And if we, if the project doesn't finish, let him come back and marry you and take you back, you know, which is what happened. You know, we got married in January of 1988 because I knew the project won't finish in six months. And then she came to Dubai in February. She's a homeopath and she started teaching yoga here. She left her practice in Bombay. So that was a sacrifice. And, uh, but, you know, she liked Dubai instantly. We had our first meal in Pardubai, you know, at a place called India Coffee House, you know, in uh, in Pardubai, and she just took to Dubai immediately. And she was actually featured, um, Martin, this would amuse you, she was actually featured in the media before me, because Gulf News had a two-page spread on her with color photographs in 1988, on the 15th of October, of her uh, talking about yoga and being a yoga teacher. You know? so. Wow. <laughs> what a story. What a nice story. Wow. Yeah. 
so that's how scary. it happened with him, with her. I, I guess Dubai GT3 and Dubai really has shaped a lot of your life. Yeah. Um, how how has it shaped your life, both the company and Dubai, and I guess your values as well? Because I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot's changed in that time. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. The the you know the the first thing that I would say was that I was very fortunate in terms of bosses. You know? So John Sutcliffe was a fantastic boss, you know, a great relationship with him. You know, George was my boss for 26 years, you know, a man that I admired greatly and I learned a lot from him, you know. And Colm, you know, as you know, John's boss, George's boss, and then my boss, you know, for the last five years. And all three of them, you know, gave me the opportunity to do things which may not have been possible elsewhere and to do things which were not part of my job title. You know, my first job title was senior systems officer, then I became manager systems, then director, I mean, senior manager, then director, then senior vice president, CEO, and so on. But during this whole journey, you know, over 33, 34 years, I had the good fortune of being able to do things which were outside my job description, which might have annoyed some people, you know, <laughs> which always happens, you know, in any organization. But, but in terms of uh, in terms of the people that I was reporting to, I had the opportunity, and the organization was growing. You know, we grew at, as you all know, you know, uh, the compounded rate of fifteen percent. You know, over this time period, we were always profitable. You know, until COVID, until until last year, and Emirates Airlines was growing, and the city of Dubai was growing, and Emirates really fueled the growth. You know, of the aviation sector, you know, whether it's the airport, whether it's Dubai duty free, you know, or related people. So working for a profitable growing organization, you know, with great bosses is what gave the opportunity for me to do things. And in terms of our family, both myself and Alpana were very fulfilled in what we were doing. Me in terms of my work with the duty free and her in terms of teaching yoga. And when the children were born, you know, they had fantastic schooling in Dubai, you know, so with Shoifat and later on with Dubai College, you know. So the most satisfying aspect of these 34 years was that as a family, all of us flourished, you know. The children went on to study very, in very good, you know, universities in the U.S. And, and now they have a life in the States. And both of us had a fantastic had a fantastic life here, you know. So, so if you look at it holistically, you know, uh, we were able to do the things that we wanted to do because of the platform that Dubai Duty Free provided. Yeah, and uh, an amazing journey, Ramesh. I think you've probably answered this to some extent, but the inspirational forces during those years the the mentors you mentioned john yeah. you mentioned column great figures of duty free both of them uh, i guess they're right up there um just tell us about that and 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 any others and maybe also your proudest achievement over those 33 years yes yeah, in, in terms of you know like work as i was saying you know john was a man of you know or john is a man of great energy humor and, and to work for three Irish bosses, you know, one big advantage is humor, right? 
you know they can always diffuse you know any situation you know with uh, with the brand of humor and you know courtesy geniality you know so so john was fantastic in that way you know george taught me a lot you know about life in general about reconciling different you know uh, aspects in a business and how to manage you know different factions or different points of view and also to not take things too seriously you know so so and not to worry too much in life you know so so the 26 year relationship you know with him was amazing and he was a, he was absolutely a boss first but he was also a friend you know and uh, and we would you know share endless cups of coffee and you know we would do you know so sort of all kinds of things you know in, in that sense and so it was a you know it was a very good sort of um learning for me in terms of adapting and managing in an you know in any sort of large organization like dubai duty free you know and that's what i learned from him and from colum you know he is a fantastic example of a person who's absolutely fearless you know he you know he you know nothing faces him you know nothing you know so sort of can make him anxious you know he could get angry but not necessarily anxious you know so so and he you know and george and john they all had the ability to back you up you know when things went wrong because anybody like me was doing various things right you know like for example that said uh, building the logistics center at the, you know here you know we built the center in 4 years and opened it 6 4 months before terminal 3 and concourse b opened you know and it we went from zero automation in logistics to 95% automation on one day you know on the on the 1st of july you know uh, 2008 so these kinds of projects or in anything that you try to do that things can fail things can go wrong whatever but what you need in a boss and what you know colum provided was the ability to back you up you know when things call start falling apart you know and uh, and uh, and that is a very very important attribute in a boss you know in an employee in a in a subordinate or a person reporting to the attribute that you need is you should be willing to accept the mistake and not blame other people in turn you know if something goes wrong i would say to column column be screwed up i'm sorry you know but you know we are doing this is this to fix the situation you know so you take responsibility but you also need your boss to back you up in in times of crisis you know so so i think i think that you know combination of having energy of having um of being fearless and being a person of integrity and backing up when things go wrong you know those are the most invaluable you know qualities you know that that you know colum had you know and which uh, john and george had you know and that's what you want and they all three of them are men of the word you know if they say something that it will happen it happens you know so yeah. so i think th- those are the things that when you look back you know i mean i mean there are many many things that we have done together you know with john george and colum but when you look back and reflect you know at a moment like this you know that's what comes foremost in your mind okay all right ram
Hamish. And and one moment that stands out in terms of makes you proudest of all? No, the, the, the thing with, uh, with a job like this is that you are, you know, that whatever you quote unquote have accomplished, you know, has been because of the many people who have worked for the company, you know? So I'm always reluctant to say that, you know, that this was my accomplishment or that was my accomplishment. But as an organization, you know, if you take sort of, you know, Ramesh Kinambi, you know, out of it, as an organization, I think our proudest, um, I mean, we had several proud accomplishments, but I think, you know, the first and foremost was we looked after our people, you know, as, as best as we could over the years and including, you know, during the COVID crisis. Yeah. We built a really strong platform in terms of technology, you know, which helped to fuel the growth, you know, over, over the 34, 35 years, compounded growth. We built a fantastic distribution center, you know, which and the automation was, as, was absolutely essential to our success. And we had a great relationship with Dubai airports and Dubai airports engineering projects, you know, in terms of all the retail development that we did, you know, over the years. So these are the things that I would look back, you know, and think that we got it mostly right, you know, over all these years in terms of accomplishments from a work front, you know. From a personal front, I would say, you know, the moment I was most proud of was when I got my you know, certification as a yoga teacher in 2014, you know, and Alpana had been teaching yoga since 1988, you know, and I'd been her student. And so when I qualified as a teacher, that was a really proud moment, you know, in uh, Florence, you know, so we, myself and my friend, you know, uh, we both went for our exam in Florence. And after we were so happy after we finished the exam that we had I think two bottles of Prosecco, one bottle of red wine, and a few shots of grappa. <laughs> but, well, well, but, uh, <laughs> well deserved they were too, Ramesh. What a, what a great story. Now, listen, that journey has, of course, been this amazing success story, uh, an ever upwards trajectory in terms of sales, I suppose. And, you know, there were some regional crises along the way, but... Uh, you were always extremely resilient, bounced back from crisis extremely fast. And then and then we got this mother of all storms, didn't we, that's affected yeah. our, our whole industry. Um, I think everybody listening to this would think it remiss of me and Roger if we didn't just briefly ask you um, how the recovery is coming back, because I know you had it very hard but I know that you see better days coming. Just sum it up briefly for us, Ramesh. Yeah, no, the, the, recovery is, the recovery is absolutely on track, Martin. You know? When you look at the passenger numbers, they are still starting to climb, you know, and they haven't gotten there yet. September was the first, was the best month ever in 2021, and we are still at 37% of the passengers that we had in 2019. So in terms of passenger growth, we are not seeing it. This reminds me of what, you know, I was telling Roger as a joke yesterday, you know, that what Alan Greenspan said, you know, about productivity, right? He said, you know, we see computerization everywhere, we see technology everywhere, but we don't see that in the productivity statistics, you know? So, so similarly, you know, with this passenger growth, there's all the good stories about Indian subcontinent, UK opening up, 
Saudi Arabia opening up. I mean, Expo 2020, there are many, many good stories and the news flow has been fantastic, but the passenger growth still has to climb. But what we have been very fortunate about is that we have been outpacing the passenger growth in terms of our revenue. So even though the passengers are at 37% this month, our revenue is at about 52% you know, um, of, uh, of 2019. So we have always been about 15 percentage points, you know, better than the passenger growth throughout. You know, for the year to date, you know, the revenue is at about, you know, uh, the passenger growth is at about 28 percent. I mean, passenger uh, as a percentage is 28 percent of 2019, but the revenue is at 40 percent of 2019. You no, know? so so we have managed to keep that spread. And that is what has helped the business. And we have been profitable every month since January of this year. Our cash flow is strong. You know, we have met all our commitments. And in terms of the, the near-term future, you know, last quarter of uh, 2021, we are very bullish. You know, uh, with the expo and with everything else that is happening. And the fact that Dubai will have fantastic weather, it's a very attractive destination, it is safe, very high vaccination rate, you know, we are at 83% now. So all of those factors will help us for these four months. But, you know, we have to be mindful of the fact that there are large geographies, you know, the Far East, you know, where you are, Martin, you know, and other parts of the world which still have restrictions for for travelers who are coming in Australia, New Zealand, no. So, so until that situation sort of resolves itself, you're not going to get a bounce back to 2019 soon. But I think if we finish this year at about 45% of 2019 and do next year at about 60% of 2019, I think we have done very well. But I genuinely feel that irrespective of what the numbers are telling us, I genuinely feel that there is more upside risk than downside risk. And, uh, and that's what you know, we were discussing yesterday in the management meeting that we are going to get, there is a good chance that you might get caught out in terms of demand, you know, rather than uh, get caught out by you know, not having enough demand. You know? so, so it's going to be an interesting few months, but I think a, September has been the best month, and I think the trajectory for the next 12 to 18 months looks good. Yeah, that's tremendously encouraging to hear, isn't it, Roger? Because, you know, if we wind back to 2019, you had a stellar business, a record year, huge business. Well, if you're getting towards the 50% mark of that, that's a very significant business still in its own right. So almost forget 2019. Yeah. Dubai duty-free is is back with a bang, and it's yeah. only going to get better. And I think everybody listening to this would be so encouraged by that, Ramesh, because yeah. what yeah. happens to Dubai duty-free affects sentiment through the industry, and it obviously affects suppliers throughout the industry. And so that's good, good news. Well, look, we've talked some shop, and we've talked your early life. Now we're going to have a bit of fun, Ramesh. I'm going to hand over to Roger because he's going to take you to our resident island, our paradise island. It's duty free, of course, and we're going to give you some creature comforts to while away the time there. So, Roger, take us away. So, Ramesh, you're on our duty free island. Uh, you can take one piece of music or one CD. Uh, what music would you take uh, to the island? 
I would, you know, pick Bob Dylan's greatest hits, you know? I mean, his, his repertory is fantastic. You know, the amount of work, you know, that he has done over four or five decades is amazing. You know, as a songwriter, as a musician, you know, his evolution. So if I had to take one CD, I would take Dylan. Ramesh, uh, can I just dive in there? Because I'm a Dylan freak aficionado, call it what you will. I'm going to press you on song. You've only got one Dylan song. What's it going to be? I think I would go with uh, like a Rolling Stone. Oh, what a choice. <laughs> what a choice. Okay. Thank so, so with your Bob Dylan music, you can take one book, Ramesh, and this question scares me with you because I know how much you read. Um, which, which book would you take? I would take a book by, you know, Lazaro Krasno Horkai, you know. He's a Hungarian writer, you know, translated into English. You know, he was the Booker Prize winner. He wrote a book called Sibo There Below, you know. And then he wrote a new book called Baron Weckheim's Homecoming. And I would take the Baron, you know, book because I've, you know, just started the book. But Lazaro Krasno Horkai, for those who don't know him, he specializes in very long sentences. Right, the okay. first sentence in the book is about four pages. You no, know? oh. so you need to be on a desert island. You know, you need to be away from electronic, you know, uh, disturbances like mobile phones and all this crap that we have around us, and focus on reading. You know, so if you if you do that with Lazno Krasno Horkai, it is an it's amazing pleasure. You know? So he's a fantastic writer. Well, that's interesting, Ramesh, uh, because I constantly tell my team, value the full point, short yeah. sentences, make it digestible. So I was kind of the, I was kind of the Hemingway school, which was yeah. very, very abrupt sentences. So a four pager, wow, that's, uh, that requires some concentration. Yeah. Uh, great, 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 great story. Uh, Martin, we might see some editorial changes at the media report. <laughs> I'm going to give Ramesh the guest editorship for a week, and I think we're going to see the changes pile. We'll see some changes. So, Lazno Krasno once said, somebody asked him about writing, you know, and he said, letters, and this is exactly the way he said it. He said, letters, then words, then sentences. He says, mainly very long sentences for 35 years. And he said, you know, beauty in hell, you know. Now, that was his description of, of the craft of writing. And you will appreciate that, Martin, you know? I mean, you know, most people absolutely underestimate, you know, how difficult writing is, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and putting, you know, your thoughts into words and, and having the courage, you know, to expose it to the world is an extraordinary thing. But he's a, he's a fantastic writer, you know? If I had to take one book, I would take him. Okay. Um, Ramesh, of course, on this island, you're allowed to take one duty-free item. And of course, that has to be from Dubai duty-free. Uh, what item would you take? The, what I would take would be a drone, you know, from Noel Harrison's, you know, innovate, you know, collection that we have. Because it, it has been my long-standing desire to master the art of flying a drone. i never gotten around it. And a desert island would be the perfect place. And I bought a plane 30 years ago, a model plane, tried to fly it, and I crashed it you know, on the first uh, you know, <laughs> attempt. 
So I would like to do better with a drone. And you know, you see all these amazing footages of you know drone photography and so on. And just to be able to to finally get your hand around it and to grasp it. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make one exception because um, <laughs> the one thing we've not discussed is your rather great love after your family, of course, <laughs> uh, DDF, and then also sailing. Yes. So we're going to let you take your boat um, to the island as well, Ramesh, so you can escape. <laughs> Just share with us a bit around your love with sailing, and I think we it'd be a miss if we don't mention it. <laughs> no, the the sailing is you know completely inexplicable. You know, I was sitting at the Dubai Duty Free event, a sponsors lunch. You know, at the Formula One. You know, powerboat race at the Dubai International Marine Club. And for the sake of something to say, I turned, you know, looked at the water and I said, I always wanted to sail. And the person sitting next to me was my colleague at that time, her husband, you know, Guy, and he was a sailor from the Dubai Offshore Sailing Club. And he said to me, why don't you come to the club? No? And I started dinghy sailing until today. I don't know why I persisted with dinghy sailing. Then I went to keel boats, you know, then I got my yacht master qualification, bought the boat in 2000, you know, end of 2009. And we have had the boat for 10 years. Very lucky that Alpana loves sailing. She's the helm. She, she loves the water. And uh, it's been an amazing experience, you know, the membership at the club and having the boat, you know, and having the opportunity to introduce sailing to so many people, you know, um, when I last counted, I had 395 different people on the boat, you know, um, and 422, you know, times we have sailed the boat, and uh, we have sailed, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, in San Francisco, in uh, in Cowes, in the UK, in Turkey, Greece, and it's been uh, Croatia, and and it's been an amazing part of our life. And the thing, Roger you know, and Martin, is that it is so easy to do it in Dubai. You know, uh, you can work a full day and still get out on the water for two or three hours. You know, and uh, which is very difficult to do in any other major city. You know, so now we are very fortunate and very thankful. You know, that we were able to do that in Dubai. You know, and it's been a great way to meet people and to meet people who are from completely different walks of life, you know, not necessarily related to you in terms of your work or, or something to do with business, you know, so, and the commander, and it's like any sport, you know, it's like golf, you know, being with people that you like, you know, and, uh, and to, you know, sail with the people that you want to sail has been great. And we have, you know, we have done the cruising part of it, we do the racing part of it, as you know, and Martin Roger has been a member of a racing crew, you know, since the last three years. <laughs> so is he is he is he reliable? A good crew absolutely, member. Yeah, absolutely reliable. You know, so so we so we you know we introduced him and we introduced so many people to to sailing. You know, over the last ten years, and that has been a very satisfying part of it. And I used to tell Roger that no matter what kind of a day you had in the office, and even in Dubai duty free, there could be days, you know, that you wish that you didn't have. When you leave the marina and you're out on the water, everything feels better. You know? 
Martin Ramesh said that nearly 400 people have been on the boat, and I think I'm officially the worst. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's not true. <laughs> I, I, I've never been shouted at as much in my life in three years, but I have loved every single minute of it. So. Yeah, well, r remind me not to come on your boat, Ramesh, because I must be the I must be the one Kiwi that's not a good sailor at all. So, uh, not for me. Um, now, as you could see, I popped off screen there a, a moment, the wonders of the virtual world mixing with the physical world. So that was a FedEx man at the door who would not go away, bringing us endless samples, Ramesh, for our, um, our, our, our uh, virtual travel retail expo in a, in a few weeks. So that's fun, fun and games. But I'm yeah. back now and I want to um, come back to the island. We've, yeah. we've arranged a, a dinner party for you um, and we like to bring three very special guests along and of yeah. course they can be from past history uh your life uh, people you admire anyone you like can sit at that table with you in that blissful surroundings who would it be and why i think if it's three people roger and martin i would first get william shakespeare because you know by any stretch of imagination and any words you know by somebody you know, like me or somebody far more erudite than me doesn't really encompass his understanding of human nature, you know, and the extraordinary body of work, you know, whether it's sonnets, you know, whether it's the plays, I mean, it is extraordinary. And, and he's probably, as you all know, you know, the most quoted person in the English language, right? You know, and most of the quotes that we, and the things that we say almost by reflex were actually written by him, no? whether he gets the credit or not. So William Shakespeare for his knowledge of the human condition and, the, and human nature. The other person that I would call would be Harold Bloom, you know, was probably the greatest literary critic ever, you know, professor at Yale and the, I would say in my view, the most uh, knowledgeable critic of Shakespeare's works, no? And the combination of having Harold Bloom, you know, in the room, you know, and having been the critic and Shakespeare being the author, you know, would be extraordinary, you know. And, uh, and Harold Bloom's, you know, um, repertoire was not just Shakespeare, but, you know, you, you take the whole English canon, you know, the body of work, and, and he has, you know, contributed to it. And, and showed people the love of reading, you know. And he wrote a book, in fact, called How to Read, you know, and, uh, and, he, and he, you know, tells you, you know, about the poems, about the plays, about the novels, you know. So his range of scholarship in terms of the English language is extraordinary. And then for a bit of fun and to also understand the effect of Shakespeare on people after him, I would invite Oscar Wilde. You know? So I think, I think that would be a dream dinner, you know, to, to have, you know, and the conversation will be extraordinary. And as a completely trivial thing, we, we can also then find out whether Shakespeare actually wrote all this stuff or not, you know, with all the controversy, whether he was one person, two persons. <laughs> because when you do think about the extent of work, you know, you, you, you have to think, you know, how was it possible for one person to have accomplished so much in their life, you know? And with the plague and with, you know, with the conditions, you know, 
you know, during that time in England, you know, it's it's amazing, you know. We have so much of technology and ease at our disposal, and we can't write four sentences. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it would be a, a wonderful dinner party, a very witty one, too. <laughs> I think Ramesh. this this conversation's taken for me a, a surprising literary twist, and I and I love it, of course, doing doing what what I do for a living. But you know, we're talking about where life takes you and things that yeah. people have achieved, Ramesh. You've achieved uh, so much. I mean, where we started off today, you know, you, you may have been an explosive expert. You <laughs> could have become a botanist. You could have come uh, become just about anything. Uh, I think we're all very grateful, and so is so is Dubai Duty Free and our industry, that uh, you became what 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 you did and and uh, have made, as I said at the start of the program, a remarkable contribution to Dubai Duty Free and to our industry. And it's been a really great pleasure uh, to, to hear from you today and to, and to just chat. I'll just hand over to Roger to, to say uh, his farewell, but it's been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank Ramesh, you. thank you so much. I think people will really have seen a different side of you today, which is the main thing around this podcast, but just a big thank you for giving us the time. And, uh, you know, thank you for everything you've done for our industry as well, because, um, we really needed strong leaders, especially in the last couple of years, and you've absolutely been that. You've been quite a consistent voice on all of the uh, conferences that have been happening virtually in the last 24 months, and you've always given a really honest and insightful view, so we really needed that. So big thank you for today, and big thank you for everything you've done so far for us. Thank you, thank you, Roger. Thank you, Martin. Very kind words, but thank you. And a big thank you, really, you know, to the Dubai Duty Free team. You know, they're absolutely amazing. You know, from column to everybody in the team, the dream team, you know, all of our managers, all of our employees. And they really, really, really came through during the COVID crisis. You know, and, you know, you know coming out of the crisis in one piece, as we did, was entirely due to the team, you know. And from the bottom of my heart, you know, I'm very, very thankful to each and every one of them. You know, it was, I say sometimes that it was one of the worst, it was the worst year of my working life, you know, but at the same time, we were very fortunate to have the team that we did, you know, to be able to, to recover from the crisis, you know, and, uh, and thank you very much, Martin and Roger, for this opportunity to chat with you guys. I enjoyed it immensely and it was great fun. It's been our pleasure. Ramesh Tanabi, thank you for being with us on Tripod. Thank you. Thanks, Ramesh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.